Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. This is our last episode of 2021, and it's a great one as I, your host, Tracy Sandler, is joined by San Francisco Chronicle sports columnist Ann Killian. Ann and I, friends and colleagues, discuss life on the road while Ann talks about speaking truth to power in her columns, looking at people with a clear vision, gut writing, and much, much more. This is an awesome episode, so make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll be back in 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. And thank you so much for joining me for Get My Job. Thank you for having me, Tracy. It's fun to see you on this instead of just in a bar like we usually are. Yes, exactly. Ann and I spent a lot of road trips together in bars and restaurants. And so this is this is a fun treat. And it's so fun to get to do Get My Job with people that I'm friends with and work with. And Ann was kind enough to uh, watch the Dodgers Giants with me, even though I know you wanted to watch it as well. But it was kind of you to watch it with me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> you were pretty fired up about it. <laughs> I was very fired up about it as Anybody who follows me knows I love the Dodgers, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're talking about Anne and her journey. Annie, and I just called you Annie, and I never have called you that in my entire time. No, you. Well, no, a lot you. of people do call me Annie, though. They do. So I think that it was like I'm subconscious, but <laughs> Anne has been with the Chronicle for a long time. She is an incredible sports columnist. I've been reading your work for many years. So this is fun. It's fun to be your friend, and it's fun to do the podcast. So For our listeners who are not as familiar with you, can you take us through your professional journey? Sure. Well, I um, I was the sports editor of my high school paper, <laughs> and um, never in a million years did I think that that was going to lead to a job. Um, I went to UCLA, and I was going to write screenplays and win Academy Awards. And um, while I was at UCLA, I, I became less enthralled with the film school because. It didn't seem like going to college. So Mm -hmm. I graduated with a history major and a communication major and not a clear idea of my path. And I ended up working in public relations. And every time that I would pitch a story to a journalist, I would be thinking, oh, my God, I wish I was that person on the other end of the line instead of me pitching a story about Sprint Communications or Hewlett Packard's new technology or something. So. I, um, after a couple of years of that, I decided, uh, to go to graduate school and I, um, I went to Columbia and, um, I, I went there because I'd always wanted to live in New York. I'm a native Californian. Um, I, and I, I thought it was going to be the best school to go to. Um, and that kind of jump started my career. It would, and it was while I was there that I thought, you know, it was, it was, in the 80s at a time when when different professions were starting to be more inclusive and opening up. And and I had always been a little bit of a, um, you know, I, I wanted to do something different and unusual. Um, so I thought, well, sports writing, which is, I always thought was the best writing in any newspaper. Um, I loved reading the sports section. I would grab it first. I um, I grew up reading the Chronicle, but I, then I lived in LA and I was reading the LA Times, which had a marvelous staff. And 
So it was while I was at Columbia that I thought I'm going to I'm going to try and not just be a journalist. I'm going to try and be a sports journalist. And um, and writing was definitely I, you know, I wanted to be a print journalist because writing was my strength. I mean, that was mm-hmm. my passion. Um, and so out of Columbia, I got an internship at the L.A. Times um, and was there for it turned into a job. I was there for more than a year, but I um, was, I had a boyfriend that was in Northern California and I wanted to come back to Northern California. So I took a job at the San Jose Mercury News and I was there for a really, really long time. And I started out covering preps. I got kind of a big break because one of the preps I covered happened to become the best figure skater in America, Christy Yamaguchi. Oh, and wow. so I got a, yeah, I got a, <laughs> that was kind of my big um, chance where all of a sudden I found myself at the nationals in Baltimore and then in, at the worlds in Paris. <laughs> and I had been covering like high school football games about <laughs> a few months earlier. And I was like, Oh wow, this is pretty fun. So that, that ignited um, my passion for the Olympics. Um, which is, I still have, as you know, I went to Tokyo this summer. That was my 12th or 13th Olympics. Um, So uh, anyway, I became a columnist after a couple of years. I I was a 49er beat writer for, for a couple of years. Um, And I became a columnist and um, yeah, I found out that I really like expressing my opinion. (laughs) I know you're shocked about that. Um, And then, and then, uh, I took a buyout. The Mercury News was becoming a, a far less um, uh, enjoyable place to work um, after um, all sorts of, you know, changes in ownership. Um, and uh, I was on my own for a little bit. I worked for Sports Illustrated. I wrote a couple of books. Um, I worked for a startup. And then and then the Chronicle came calling. And I was like, I, I and I still, I love... I love connecting with a local readership that knows and is passionate about the teams you cover. I mean, I, I think that that's really rewarding. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been uh, almost it'll be 10 years this this coming year. Wow. At the Chronicle. That is fantastic. That's an interesting point that, that you said that you like connecting with a local readership that's passionate. How is that different from something more national? Well, like when I was writing for Sports Illustrated, I, you know, I just wrote a couple columns a week for them on a, it was really on a freelance basis, but I didn't know where it was going. I felt like it was just going out into the void. I didn't know who was reading it. I, I, I wouldn't really get a lot of feedback. Um, but, you know, if you if you cover the 49ers, if you write about the 49ers in the Bay Area, you're tapping into a pretty passionate audience. Mm-hmm. Same with, you know, the Warriors, um, the Giants, when they were, you know, had their resurgence this year and and got back into the playoffs. You just you could kind of just feel the energy. And and that's really one of the things that drew, has always drew me to sports, mm-hmm. because when I was younger, the 49ers winning a their first Super Bowl like kind of changed the dynamic of San Francisco. Like people mm-hmm. were so fired up um, and you just felt that community energy. And mm-hmm. that's I love that. I love that part. You see it, you know, in with the Warriors when they're when they were winning championship, when the Giants were winning championships, you you just um, you know, you could feel it at Dodger Stadium this fall. You know, you just feel that 
that energy and that, um, and there's, you know, there's not that many places in our society that you can get that, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, we're a pretty fractured society. So it's nice when all these people come together about one thing. And granted, it's something that's kind of trivial, but the end result isn't trivial. I don't think that communal energy is trivial. Yeah, I think that's that's 100% right and really well said. Uh, you said that you had been covering high school football and the next thing you know, you're like at the world championships in Paris. Uh, a lot of times people on this podcast will talk about getting those reps with high school football and, and that kind of thing. Could you talk a little bit about that and how those reps help to prepare you and some of those early lessons you learned that you take with you today? Yeah, I um, what I mostly covered um, when I was with the LA Times uh, was preps in... Um, in Orange County, which was like, there was this huge newspaper war going on between the LA Times and the Orange County Register. And, and the, the, the battleground was preps because people were really passionate about it. And, you know, um, I mean, you're, you live down there, I mean, modern day and, and, uh, and I mean, some of the athletes I covered in, in, um, in, when they were like juniors in high school, it's kind of funny because there were a lot of very famous athletes that were coming out of Orange County. Um, and, you know, there's nobody to help you. There's no PR person. There's no, uh, nobody hands you the quotes. Nobody <laughs> hands you the stats. You know, you walk the, you walk the, the, the yard lines um, and you have, are writing down the plays as you go. Um, I don't know if it's still like that, but it certainly was when I was doing it. And, mm-hmm. and it just, I think it's a real, um, it's kind of a, it teaches you, to, you know, accuracy. It teaches you to make sure people's names are spelled right. Um, because somebody's mom and somebody's dad is reading. If you, if you're putting their kid's name in the paper, someone is cutting that out and saving it. So I think it's a really great place, um, to kind of, you know, get your chops and, and learn how to do the business. And, and I don't know if you can hear but my dog is making the funniest noises behind me. (laughs) It's totally fine. Having a little party by herself, like <laughs> rolling around on the living room floor. <laughs> That's okay. Cappy was barking earlier at the beginning of this podcast. It's fine. This is a very dog-friendly pod. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's out of control. But um, yeah, so I think it's a, you know, I, I know that a lot of, um, well, it's funny. A lot of young reporters don't want to do that, right? They want to go mm-hmm. right to something. And they and a lot of them don't want to even be beat reporters. They want to they want to um, go right to like writing columns or being um, feature writers. And I think being a beat reporter, and I got to say, I was not a great beat reporter. I was not like my colleague, Susan Slusser, who just, you know, owns the beats that she's mm-hmm. on. Um, but it definitely taught me like, you, you got to do the work, you know, you got to make mm-hmm. the context, you got to, you got to uh, cover the games. You've got to think of what is next important next in my beat. You know, it's a, it's a, um, definitely (laughs) my dog has gone crazy. She has a lot to say. She's like, I'm going to be on the dog beat and I have some things I want to talk about. (laughs) So anyway, um, I, I do think it's, I, I do think it's a, at least for me, it was an important step. Um, it was kind of like laying the groundwork, you know, it's interesting that you say that you you were not a good beat reporter. What do you think, and probably I could answer this too, but this one's about you, so I'm putting you on the spot. What do you think makes a good beat reporter? And then another question is, what is the skill set that you have and learned along the way that's made you such a successful columnist? 
well, thank you for saying that. Um, well, I think I think I would be a much better beat reporter now than I was back in my um, at the early part of my career, because I I well I, I know way more people now. We have cell phones now, so you keep everyone's number, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was always like throwing away a notebook with an important <laughs> number in it, going what. Um, uh, you know, I just, I think I understand just the mechanics of the business. And, and I think what makes a good beat writer is um, having a, a million contacts at mm-hmm. all levels. You know, I think when I started out, it was like, oh, I need to know um, John McVeigh and be able to call him at home if something happens. But I didn't think about all those other people underneath, you know, mm-hmm. who, who really, um, I think, you know, I guess I was naive enough to think maybe people weren't going to just like people like to talk, you know, yeah. and, and you've, if you're in this business long enough, you learn that people like to talk and they like to dish information. And um, I think maybe I relied too much on direct channels, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the proper channels. Um, uh, I think, um, I think really good beat reporters just, they kind of see the next story coming before it comes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they also react to the news, but they can see what's kind of coming and can kind of lay the groundwork. And and um, again, I think that's something that comes with experience and just kind of, you know, knowing um, how teams operate. And I think a lot of people, when you're young and you get in the sports business, you kind of just because we're we 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 consume a lot of sports. So we think we kind of understand it. And but until you're in it, I don't think you really understand like how teams mm-hmm. work and the politics of teams and, and how these decisions are made. And, and I think, um, yeah, I think I didn't know that much when I was starting out. I think I would be better at it now. So what do you think makes you a good columnist and what did you learn during that time that's made you a good columnist? Um, well, I think what all journalists need to do is they need to be honest. You know, they need to, um, uh, you know, you're putting your name on your work. And so whatever you're saying, it needs to be truthful. And it also, like as an, a columnist, it has to be what how I feel. I have mm-hmm. worked with some very well-known columnists Um who've gone on to become well-known talking heads on TV, who clearly wrote only for a knee-jerk reaction. They were Mm -hmm. writing an honest opinion. They were wondering what's going to like get enough clicks. What's going to be the hot take. And, um, I, I've never been able to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. because I just can't, I couldn't, I couldn't put my name on something I didn't really believe. You know, and sometimes you get editors who who are like, how about you say, you know, blah, 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 that so-and-so, you know, like, well, like let's take right now, like Jimmy should be sat down. He, Jimmy Garoppolo should not be the starting quarterback, blah, you know, play Trey Lance right now, whatever it takes. Like, I don't feel that way. So, mm-hmm. so I can't write that, you know, other people are writing it, but I look at Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the point of, of, um, playing a game is to win the game. I Apparently look at his, so. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. That's I, what I've learned as a beat reporter. Yeah, I look at his record, the 49ers record, when he's their starter and when he's not. I look at, you know, how many games Trey Lance has played in his lifetime. And I just, I think they're making the right decision. But, but so that's an example of, of, you know, I just, I couldn't, I can't be dishonest, even if it might get clicks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think I'm, 
I, I think I'm good at stating a strong opinion um, and and backing it up. Um, I think that's what uh, good columnists do. And I think I, I, I try to make people think, um, you know, not in a provocative kind of gutsy kind of way, but in, you know, I, I like to write about issues. You know, I, I like to write way more about issues than, you know, statistics or games. I like to, I like the intersection of sports and society. Um, and certainly the last four or five years has given us just reams of stuff to write about. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it always has, I mean, that's the part of sports that I find fascinating. Like the whole, you know, keep politics out of sports thing is just makes me laugh because it's, it's never been out of sports. And I'm sorry if, if you want your playground to not be part of the real world and not have all these issues of, you know, racial tension and, and economic injustice and all this stuff that goes on in, in the rest of the world, that that's in the sports world too. And, and yeah, so that's, that's the stuff I like to write about. And, you know, I, I, um, my, my bosses say they like it that I speak truth to power. Oh, I so, like that. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, don't, I don't know if I, I try to, I try not to, um, you know, be too worried about what the, um, the big wigs in, in the sports world, if they're, if they like me or not, if they're going to send me a Christmas card, right. <laughs> That's I don't think many closer. of them would. <laughs> You know, you wrote a column years ago that I still quote something in that column to people. Um, you wrote about when Jim Harbaugh left the 49ers, which ultimately turned out to be a good thing for my Michigan Wolverines. Because today oh, I cannot get <laughs> Finally it did. And I want, you know, these last few weeks, I can have no conversation about anything without bringing up Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> but you wrote something in, in that column about at that time between Jed Yark and Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh, there, you had a first time owner, a first-time GM, a first-time head coach, and there was no adult in the room. And I quote that to people today. And I always say, like, Ann Kelly wrote this column, and I thought that was so well said. But that was such a talk about, like, speaking truth That's that was really well said. And I think it was a big learning experience for everybody. Uh, yeah. But I, I quote you on that all the time because I thought that was the perfect way to sum it up. And a lot of times I think when, when teams are going badly, that's, that's the problem. You know, there's a lot of power and a lot of ego, but there's no one mature enough to be able to kind of say, like, what is best for our team and what are we doing here? Gee, funnily enough, I think that something like that's happening in Jacksonville. And what Ooh. is the part of the Venn diagram? What's the overlap there? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, ooh, that's... Trent yes. Baalke. <laughs> yep, Trent Baalke. Yep, and, you know, I obviously have not great feelings about Urban Meyer, but I guess that's a conversation for another time. And happy <laughs> to have it with anybody who wants to anytime, by the way. <laughs> Um, but going back to when you said you were talking about, you know, building those relationships and now we have cell phones, which makes everything so much easier. But over the years, what, what would tips be for a young reporter coming in on, on how you build relationships and do it in a very authentic and honest way? Well, don't come on too strong. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've seen people who just like, you know, they, they, they come out of the box thinking that they're, you know, um, this, you know, some sort of legendary investigative reporter and they just start like hammering people with questions. And we see it in certain, you know, press, press conference settings where people get way over their skis in terms of the questions they're asking and the, the tone they're taking. Um, I, so I, I would just, you know, 
for a really young reporter, I'd kind of be like, read the room and, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, you got to be aggressive and get the information you need, but, but don't try and make it be about you in terms of, you know, a a question or, um, and I think the other thing is just, you know, be, be a friendly, be professional, but be, you know, like I always felt being a woman helped me because, you know, like I, I spent two pregnancies around teams and they, Mm -hmm. so guys would ask me like, how's your kid? And I would say, fine, how's your kid? You know? And, Mm -hmm. and so I, I think, you know, being able to connect on a human level rather than you're an athlete and I am here to suck information out of you, um, is, is much better if, if they view you as, you know, a human and, and someone who, who might, you know, be nice to know, or might be nice to have a conversation with who might ask them questions that, you know, just about how are you doing or, you know, how, how do you, how's life? Um, at the same time, realizing they view you as a journalist, you're a journalist, you're not their friend. You know, I mean, that's another mistake I think people make. I I think sometimes young women who cover professional men's sports get too flirty. I think young men who cover professional men's sports get too, you know, bro huggy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, want to be their, their friend. They're not, they're not our friends, right? Mm -hmm. We have pleasant relationships with some, but, but overall, um, it's not a, a friend thing. Right. That makes sense. Which leads me into, uh, is there a misstep that you see women making, when trying to break into the sports industry. And I'd also be interested to know as a follow-up before you even answer the question, uh, is, is that changed over the years? Is there a mess, misstep you used to see that you're not seeing or, or how has that evolved? I suppose. Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to come off as a super fuddy duddy, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I think one misstep I see, and I don't want to, you know, be sexist about it, but, where you see people just kind of not dress professionally in, in mm-hmm. locker rooms. Um, I think, you know, and I'm not talking about like, and it, you know what, it, and I shouldn't say just women. I think it's men and women. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. you see like guys coming to, you know, press conferences or something in, in flip flops or, you know, right. like cargo jeans or, you know, mm-hmm. just, uh, but I, I do think, um, you know, I, I have seen young women, attractive young women be inappropriately dressed for working around a bunch of young athletes. And I, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that it sends a message about them. Now that's not to say that you can't look really pretty. You can't wear Mm -hmm. something that looks sexy because that's how people go to work. You know, that's how we work. Um, but it's just, it's just, I, sometimes I've seen well, young women just, it's like, you know, we're not in a nightclub, we're in a locker room. Right. Um, so I would say that's one misstep. I would say, um, you know, I think sometimes women don't trust themselves, young women. I don't mm-hmm. think I trusted myself very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you really got to be able to stand up for yourself. And if someone says something. I, I think these days people are much better than back in my early years about like saying, uh-uh, I'm not going to stand for that. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. stand for that bullshit. Or you, if you're going to, if you're, you can't talk to me like that, or you can't, you can't, you know, they're, they're way more likely to call someone. I think today's 
young women in the business are way more likely to call someone on really sexist behavior than, um, than, I mean, I, I think I probably tolerated a lot more than I should have, you know, mm-hmm. just because I was, there were fewer women. It felt, um, it, it just the, you know, the, the balance of power was really out of whack and I felt it all the time. Mm-hmm. So I probably like, you know, tolerated stuff. I, I probably shouldn't have. Um, I think, I think that's changed. I think that's yeah. changed a lot. And I just think that, you know, there are more women giving sports information to people in all different kinds of ways, mm-hmm. um, whether it's doing play by play or, or writing or being, you know, an anchor or um, so I just think like today's athletes, they don't really like go, Oh, you know, what, what are you doing here? Um, mm-hmm. When I started, there were a lot of athletes who said, what are you doing here? Like, you shouldn't be doing this job. And I don't think, I don't get the sense that, that athletes think that way at all anymore. No, I I don't don't know. What do you think? I don't think so. I mean, I've, I haven't felt it. Let's put it that way. And I don't know if that just is coincidence or the the team I'm around the most, but I haven't felt it ever when talking to an athlete. And it's even, I think you would feel it even more in like a one-on-one interview. And I've never felt that way from, from them. Yeah. And I, I've often wondered, do I, do I not feel that way? Because I, um, you know, I've been here so long that everyone knows me or also that we work in San Francisco where like that kind of stuff wouldn't really be tolerated. But I, I, I just think professional sports is just a giant business now. Now you might be covering some college programs where it could still creep in, but, um, I, I think in general that kind of, um, Oh, it's so weird that there's a woman here is that Mm -hmm. that's gone. And when I started, that was definitely there. And I think even like for me, whose, whose brand is fangirl. Um, I feel like if it was there, I would potentially feel it. And Mm -hmm. I still don't feel it. You know, like even if I'm doing five fun facts with a player, I don't feel this, like, what are we doing this? You know, like they take it seriously and it's part of what I do. And so I think, you know, that's part of it. I also, and part of that could also be like, at this point, a lot of the athletes were covering or growing up in this world of social media. It's just, everything has kind of changed the dynamic. Right. Uh, but so I think there's, you know, a, res- a respect with that. And luckily there are a lot more women doing what we do. And so I think that's part of it too. But yeah, I have yet, I've yet to feel it. And I hope I don't. I, I think, I think athletes are just way savvier than, now about their brand, um, mm-hmm. you know, about, about what, um, exposure can give them. Um, and certainly we're going to start seeing that way more at the college level too, with these new changes. So I just think, yeah, the whole, the whole, while they can control their message, I think they also understand that other people can help them with their message, people mm-hmm. like us. So I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's quite a different landscape than it was way back when I started. <laughs> well, and it's, I'd be curious to know that when, way back when you say way back, but when you, those were your words, not mine, but when you started, was it intimidating? Did you feel like you really had to fight in a way that you don't feel like maybe we have to today? Yeah, I was intimidated. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I tried really hard not to ever show it, but mm-hmm. I would get like literally like nauseous um, before I had to go to work, like work a game or go to a mm-hmm. baseball game and know I had to talk to baseball players um, mm-hmm. both before and after the game. Um, 
just there was a there was a um, and a part of that was just you know that I was learning to do the job, um, but you know I I mean I had a famous incident with Charles Haley that um, that got a lot of publicity where he you know like you know took off his towel and chased me around the locker room and was really intimidating and and very vile and disgusting and and um, and like. I was the only woman, like, it was just a weird, mm-hmm. like, the, the fact that something like that happened. I mean, it's horrifying, really. Yeah, and and was, I felt super threatened, and I had to, like, kind of keep a brave face on, and then I I actually went outside because um, I thought I was going to burst into tears, and I was like, I am not going to burst into tears in this damn locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there, there were things, there was enough weird kind of hostile or walking into a visiting clubhouse at candlestick park and hear, hearing people saying, what the fuck are you doing in here? Like yelling, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't even know who it was, but so, um, there was a kind of a simmering level of, of tension and discomfort, um, in the early years. And then it just started to get better. I think, I think athletes started to grow up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, not be freaked out and, and, and the general managers and the coaches made it very clear that, you know, they, and they did more media training and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, it's all kind of changed. Um, but, but having other, other people like you, um, is, it's nice, you know, that, that is, that part of it has also changed. Yes, I would imagine it has. I mean, it does. There is a level of comfort walking into the workroom, the press box, the press conference room, and just seeing more women. And there's just a level of comfort that obviously probably was not there when you when you first began. Yeah. Uh, and kind of along those lines at that time, or maybe even a little later in your career, was there ever a constructive criticism? Well, I'm going to rephrase that. I ask everybody this, and I, I just find the answer interesting and helpful for everybody. Was there either a constructive criticism you received that was actually really helpful, hard to hear, but helpful for your career in your career, or was there criticism you received and you had to learn who you listen to and, and who you don't because it was so unfounded or, or just so ridiculous? I'm not sure if that made sense. Well, I, I mean, when I think of criticism in my career, um, I think early on I had to, um, and I wouldn't, wouldn't say I was ever like a fangirl, but I think I was a little in awe of certain players, mm-hmm. certain athletes. Like, so I, 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 I might've backed off a little bit or, or just been, you know, um, I don't know, like, you know, not I might've had a hierarchy in my head of like, well, this guy is, you know, a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and certainly the cynicism of my colleagues beat that out of me really quickly, you know? So mm-hmm. well, I don't know that that was advice or criticism, but it was kind of seeing what, um, ha- you know, how, how everyone is, you know, like mm-hmm. you gotta be pretty cynical. You can't, you can't have any, put anyone on a pedestal. You gotta, you, you gotta look at people, with, you know, um, clear vision and not be clouded by, you know, what someone else thinks about them or what, you know, their, their fame level. Um, 
in terms of like, I think the one thing that as a columnist, especially as a woman in this business and as a columnist, especially writing my own opinion, um, you need a really thick skin. Your guy, Jim Harbaugh would say an armadillo skin, (laughs) but, uh, uh, so God bless him. I love it. <laughs> I think all the criticism and all the like, I mean, I used to get, um, you know, snail mail letters, like saying the most vile, awful things about sometimes with a return address. And so I think, um, you know, that was before, before Twitter, um, uh-huh. now people before, just do it on that with an yeah, egg. Before social there. Media. Yeah, so I think all of that, um, that kind of criticism, I think just toughened me up. Um, you know, because it was so absurd and it was so, uh, yeah, it was kind of, you know, you uh, even it, it toughened me up in a way that made me be able to deal with the social media stuff. And, and I think, you know, you and I know um, women in the sports world get crushed on social media a lot by trolls. And so, um, you know, I, I had a version of that happening, mm-hmm. um, early on. Um, it just, you know, I think, I think that kind of criticism just, um, and, and just saying you don't belong, you know, what, why, what do you, why, why are you giving me my sports news? Um, it just kind of toughened me up and made me even more, uh, determined that, um, you know, this was where I belonged. And with social media, I mean, do you now, which roles, do you ignore them? Do you respond to some of them? Or how, how do you, I know that's such a personal thing as to how people deal with it, but how do you? I try not to respond and I, I do um, find blocking is, um, is nice, but mm-hmm. I also like muting because then they can be just like railing, you know, sending you all sorts of mean things uh-huh. and you just, you just you don't, don't even know. So it makes you appear very zen, even if yes. you're not. <laughs> there was something, and I can't even remember, this shows how important it was, that someone said to me on Twitter a few weeks ago, it was after a game, and I think I was sitting next to Matt Barrows, and I was like, should I block this person? And he said, mute them, because then they can they can scream into the universe and know what, you'll never see it. They're going to be like, why won't you respond? I, I'm uh, going to get you. I'm going to get you to respond. Yeah, um, block and mute are definitely... Um, uh, our friends. Um, but I don't, it, I don't find it worth getting in a battle. And I also don't, don't, um, it's my Twitter feed, you know, it, right. it's, it's not, um, just because you say something to me on my Twitter feed doesn't mean I have an obligation to respond to you, you know? Yes. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who just, you know, want to try and get you. Yes. And that, and you're, it is, it becomes like the diminishing returns to just respond to a person who's just looking for a fight and just looking to antagonize. So you're really just giving them, not you, but the universally you. Yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm out of this job and not doing it anymore, I'm, I may be off of Twitter. I mean, I really, I do think it's a very, um, and it's not even just what like the trolls at me, but it's just that barrage of high anxiety headlines constantly. Um, mm-hmm. it's very, <laughs> it can really wear you out. Yeah. Oh, it, abs- it absolutely can. Um, do you ever take breaks? Do you ever just say I'm, I'm going to be off it for a few days? Uh, when I've, I, I try to, if I'm on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but still, you know, I mean, we're in this business cause we're sports junkies. Um, right. 
it's it's hard to stay off of it. You know, it's it's certainly the the right source for information. So yes, that's that's true. If you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a, a career in this industry, what would it be? I would say be yourself. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't try and um, now be yourself while. You know, if you want to try someone's style of writing or broadcasting on, I think young people have to kind of find what their their own voice and their own way. I know I did. So so it's OK to kind of emulate people. But just, you know, I think people can see through a phony. Um, yeah. And and I think people and athletes really can. You know, they're kind of um, they, they can look at you and see if, if you're a, a, an honest person or not. Um, back to urban Meyer. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so I, I think, I think that would be my biggest, I mean, it's just, it's kind of advice for life. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and just do the work, you know, do the, the work. Uh, um, I think, you know, accuracy, um, f- facts are important. Um, uh, for me, speed is important, which is sometimes it's hard to get both those things, speed yes. and accuracy. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and I, I think some of it, I would say, like I used to teach a writing class at Cal, a sports, a sports journalism class. And people like some of the students really wanted me to tell them how to write a story. And it's like, well, there's no there's no formula except for, you know, usually you have a lead, then you have a quote, then you have mm-hmm. your net graph. Um, but but you kind of got to go with, but he, like this, I remember this one student saying, but what should my lead be? And it's like, well, that's, what's going to make it your story is you've right. got to go with your gut and say, what, why, what would a reader find interesting? You know, what can mm-hmm. I tell them? Is it a scene? Is it a, a thought? Is it a, you know, but, but um, so I think a lot of writing is kind of gut writing, you know, going by your mm-hmm. gut. Instead of some sort of formula. I like that gut writing a lot. (laughs) Uh, Could you take us through a day in the life of Ann Killian? Well, um, I get up, I have a latte. Mm -hmm. uh, I put on, I don't shower. I put on my running clothes because if I take a shower, I'm never going to go work out. (laughs) Of course. Um, (laughs) I, um, you know, I, I generally, especially with the pandemic, I, I, I mean, I've always worked at home, um, uh, unless I was at a game, um, or interviewing someone, but certainly with the pandemic, I, um, I usually crack open my computer at, uh, in my kitchen and read Twitter, um, kind of get the news of the day, um, and figure out, you know, I usually have an idea the night before, um, what I'm going to write about. I mean, I usually try to have a plan, mm-hmm. um, of, of what I'm writing about. And, and then I'll, I'll either write a little bit and then go for a run or I'll go for a run and then write a little bit. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, check in with my editors, uh, play with my dog, mm-hmm. um, hopefully hang out with my boyfriend and then do it all over again. Your Dodgers loving boyfriend. I just want to throw that out there. Yes. very <laughs> much so. I don't think he would like a glittery denim jacket um, with Cody Bellinger's name on it, but he might, I don't know. But if, 
If he does, you know where to go because I will make sure that he has it. Because I would, I would like nothing more than for him to have a glittery denim jacket with Cody Bellinger's name on it. So I'm totally down to make that happen. Did you see uh, the sweatshirts that I have now too? Oh, I, have no. a Bell- I have a Bellinger and a Betts sweatshirt that are also glittery from the same person. Oh my so, goodness. <laughs> so I know it's like the fun just continues. I can't wait. If they ever come out of the lockout, I can't wait for the season to start. Well, it's a good thing that you, uh, you invested in the, the players that they're going to have on the team. Yes. Had I gotten a Corey Seager and Max Scherzer sweatshirt, I might you have, would have, not have <laughs> I would not have. It was traumatizing enough. If that really would have, that would have done me in. Um, Betts was a safe bet. Get it? He was a safe yeah. bet. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll just, I'll see myself out, but not yet because we have to do five fun facts. Uh, so, you know, I do these with the 49ers players. First of all, actually, this was just really fun to get to talk to you and talk to you in this way. Cause I also learned a lot about you that I didn't know. Uh, so this go. was cool for me and for our listeners, but I can't let you go without five fun facts on this podcast. We ask everybody the same ones okay. and we get very different answers. So without further ado, Five fun facts with Ann Killian. Ann, what is your favorite moment in sports? Um, I think it's not what just happened. Steph Curry just broke the three-point record before we started mm-hmm. talking. Um, you know, I think when I look back on it, one of my, probably my favorite big thing I covered was the women's World Cup in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um because I could feel at the time that it, it, it just felt like a, not just a sporting event, but a sea change in the way um, women and women athletes and women athletes on teams were going to be viewed. Um, the, it just was a really powerful event in this mm-hmm. country. And yes, you know, have women's league struggled since that time in, you know, it's only been 20 years, folks. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a short time in the world of pro sports landscape. But um, uh, it just felt, it felt big and important and like that kind of thing. I like the intersection of sports and society. But I've had, a, I've been, I got to say, I've been so lucky. I've covered so many cool moments from Olympics to local teams winning championships. It's just, um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of been a great ride. Yeah, you've you really have. You've gotten to cover a lot of really, really cool things and, and seen a lot, which is awesome. Do you have a life motto? Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> I like that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Go to workout. Well, you did mention it, but go to workout. Yeah, I like to run. Um uh I've I like to do yoga. Um, before the pandemic, I was doing Orange Theory. I haven't been back, but uh, I got to say, I live in a really beautiful place, and to be able to, you know, just lace up shoes and go out the door and be in the Marin Headlands, it's just, it's beautiful. So, your, I like that. Yeah, your go-to coffee order. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off before. Um, well, if I'm like at a Starbucks, I would have a grande latte, non-fat latte with an extra shot. That sounds- I'd like to wire myself up. Oh, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm, but I also do almond milk, but I feel really bad about the almonds with the drought because it takes so much water to grow almonds. So um, I don't know what to do because I'm, 
I've tried oat milk and it's super sour and it's like four times as many calories. So yeah. I don't it's know. It's very I'm, carby. Yeah. I'm not sure what to do. You could do, you could do almonds milk like two or three times a week and non-fat milk the other days. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy, for the advice. <laughs> I know that you're very glad you came on this podcast today for, for no other reason. Well, basically it goes to your everything in moderation, including moderation. So you're going to do almond milk in moderation. Exactly. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Please tell your friends to come on the pod because they will get some excellent life advice. <laughs> excellent coffee advice. <laughs> very good. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. Well, if I was really self-centered, I would say uh, Solo, A Memoir of Hope, which was the book I wrote with Hope Solo, <laughs> New York Times bestseller, by the way. Um, oh, well, then people should read that. <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of, um, you had told me you were going to ask me this, and I really, like, this has really troubled me because I'm a super avid reader, but I can't think of one book. I will say when I was, I'm going, I've been going through all sorts of boxes of stuff, and I got to say, reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder books as a child mm. probably shaped my life more than anything. That strong, independent Laura spirit, um, mm-hmm. I think, was just such a great role model as a young girl. Um, and I would say, um, you know, Joan Ryan, former uh, examiner and Chronicle columnist, um, is a very dear friend of mine. And a book that really stands out to me is Little Girls in Pretty Boxes that she wrote in, um, I think 1993. And it was about, um, and it was just, I think it's really good because it, it takes sports, but it looks at it totally differently. And it looked at, um, figure skating and gymnastics and kind of the abusive, um, environments that these young, young prepubescent girls are put in. Mm -hmm. And she uncovered all this stuff about the Carolis and gymnastics and the ranch. And then a year after her book was published, uh, or two years after the, you know, Carol, the 96 Olympics happened and Carrie Strug is being held by Bella Caroli. And it's this giant, everyone loves Bella again. And the, everyone in gymnastics looked the other way um, for, you know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's a really, it's, it's a really good book and it's also good because it, it shows you a different way to look at sports. And it also shows you that, uh, winning makes people look the other way because her book is now back in release and people have been quoting it, you know, ever since the, the Larry Nasser stuff happened. Um, and it's just like, she, she wrote it right. It was right there, like for everyone to see that it was a Petri dish of, you know, perfect circumstances for abuse to happen to these young women. And guess what? It did. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good sports book. What's your go-to book? Oh, that is a, t- you know what? No one in all these podcasts, no one has actually asked that yet. A book I bring up a lot is the four agreements. Um, I, I love that book. I, and I, I've read it twice and it's, it really rings true, you know, in four agreements to really, live your life around. And the one that always speaks to me the most is not to take anything personally, because at the end of the day, really nothing is personal. And it's something that I try to go back to and remember. And so I would say that's, 
that is a go-to um, that I say to people, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which I know is a popular thing to say right now, but it's just a fantastic book. I've got to read um, it. It's really, really good. And then I tend to read because I spend so much time on Twitter. And even though we cover sports, just so much time in real life situations. And, and I used to work in politics. So that, you know, was a big part of my life. I tend to read a lot of thrillers and true crime and things that I just really just enjoy reading to, to turn off my mind. Um, I, yeah. I don't, I don't really read any sports books. I read a lot of literary fiction. That's, mm-hmm. you know, so whatever's the best sellers on the bestseller, li- you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, the new Colson Whitehead, the, the new Amar Tools. I mean, I, those, those are the books I like, can't wait um, to, to get into. And, you know, I'll read, I'll read all night long um, mm-hmm. and, and blast through a book like that. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't read a lot of like, this is what you should learn about life books. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't read a ton of them either, but I did like Glennon Doyle's though. My favorite book of all time is the great Gatsby. Well, babe, you and I have that in common too. I would say if, if you gun to my head, what's the great American novel, I would say the great Gatsby. Absolutely love. That's just my favorite of all time. Absolutely. Um, so there you go. So much in common. Look at that. We've, <laughs> we've both learned a lot today and that just makes me very happy. And I hope tomorrow you go have yourself an almond milk latte and don't worry about the almonds. You can worry about them another time. Okay. So okay. I will. <laughs> um, thank you, Aon. This was fun. I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I just had a blast talking to you. This was great. Thanks, Tracy. It was super fun. And, and if you I'll, guys, I'll see you on the road. <laughs> you oh yes, you will. They are my most favorite. Our Ann trips. Um, and if you guys <laughs> like what you heard, and I'm sure you did, make sure to uh, leave us a five star review and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And this we is our final podcast of 2021. So I will be back with everybody at the first week of January. Happy holidays and happy New Year to everybody. Bye all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.